pen and sword. A million tiny candles floating, flickering, dancing above my head, each delicately enclosed in their own glass bubble, so high I couldn't imagine how they got there. I reached my hand out towards the glittering light of the enormous chandelier in the foyer. I was mesmerized and started to feel woozy from staring straight up, but I just couldn't look away. The parlor is to your left. Mr. Goldblatt will see you momentarily. Don't touch anything. Snapping my head down suddenly, falling from my spellbound state, I stumbled a bit and nervously glanced toward the shriveled old woman in an apron who sneered at me and, before I could even begin to reply, spun on her heel and retreated through narrow pocket doors, drawing them closed with a bang. I sheepishly drew my hands together behind my back to cradle my notebook, a beat-up old leather-bound wad of paper I'd brought along for the interview, and blinking several times to clear the wild stars bouncing through my field of vision. I'd knocked six times before the woman had cracked the enormous, ornately carved door open, slammed it shut again, and reopened it a moment later, just enough for me to squeeze in. What a rude way to greet a journalist you'd invited to interview you, I thought. Venturing to the left into the parlor, I took a seat on an ivory settee in front of the window. The heavy golden drapes stretched from floor to ceiling. These heights were slightly less dizzying than the lofted foyer, and the braided fringe along the drape edges reminded me a bit of a carnivorous breed of fuzzy caterpillars I'd studied last summer for a botany article that even I'd admitted had been horrible copy. I shuddered. I placed my notepad on the low oak coffee table that sat in the center of the oversized pieces of furniture. My hand instinctively went to my ear to ensure my ballpoint pen was still wedged there, then smoothed the ill-fitting chinos of my work outfit out across my lap. I wished the newspaper would have equipped me with some better-fitting clothes, or at least a blazer, to cover the cartoonish Baltimore Buzz bee stitched in yellow and black on the corner of my once-white polo. Yesterday afternoon, my boss Marty had called me into his office to explain my next piece. The Mount Washington Historical Homes Association had given a sizable donation to our desperate paper and requested an aspiring young female journalist come to speak to its chairman. This is just the thing you can prove that you can handle a story about a respectable people rather than, what are they? Violent little bugs. You better not mess us up, girly. Goldblatt and me go way back and he's expecting you. The threat came tumbling out of his mouth, along with bits of fries slathered so thickly with Old Bay I could feel my eyes start to burn from clear across his dusk. He simultaneously berated and taunted me with assignments none of my male counterparts wanted, after I begged, teary-eyed, for him not to condemn me to a desk job editing the obits and classifieds. I dreamed of being an award-winning journalist, but oh, how the New York Times seemed so out of touch. And I don't want to hear you give me any trouble, because I really need the cash. Uh, I mean, we, we, the paper, really need this uh, grant. Don't get all hysterical like a typical woman, not like the nasty little girly here before you. He picked at his teeth. Cindy, whatever. Ugh. I'd been warned before never to be like Cindy, my mysterious predecessor. Wasn't too sure what her story was, but apparently she'd had a breakdown and quit. Careful not to say anything in reply, as I found it best to simply nod and scamper off. I set off to this well-to-do neighborhood of massive mansions and mysterious philanthropic characters like Mr. Goldblatt to report on the inner workings of those well beyond my humble pedigree. Although for the life of me, I couldn't fathom how someone of this station could have anything to do with misogynist Marty Berger. 
fidgeting, I rose and navigated my way around the coffee table, marveled at the massive fireplace, unlit on an unusually mild January afternoon, and ran my finger across the mantel, thick with dust, of course. I wiped it on my chinos, remembering I wasn't to touch anything, and marveling at my inability to follow the simplest directions. Half a dozen sepia-toned documents in oversized frames lined the mantel. Old maps of various downtown streets, architectural blueprints with notes scrawled in an illegible but distinguished hand, and primitive photographs labeled Mrs. Elizabeth Turner Graham, Mrs. Sadie Neller Miller, Mrs. Augusta Chisel, each holding a baseball and a notebook, or a folio of papers, or a small stack of books, each accompanied by the same thin mustached man in a hard plaid suit. I may have been a lousy journalist, but I keenly recognized and looked up to these brave women, role models from my very own city, for my perhaps misguided commitment to my craft. The fireplace was flanked by heavy wooden shelves containing more books than I'd ever seen, but whose titles were so faded I was only interested in the knickknacks serving as bookends between them. My gaze hovered across brass lions and small crisscross swords with ornate hilts that jingled loosely when I couldn't help but poke at them. I wondered why this Mr. Goldblatt, the grandson perhaps, wanted to live in such a dusty old house. I frowned at the bookends and the dust and having to wait. I made a split-second decision to swap out my pen for one of the tiny swords. I shoved it in my pocket with a smug snort. A sudden creak in the floorboards made me freeze in place, then slowly turned towards the foyer. I was preparing to bumble my way through my tiny act of theft, but there was no one there. Leaving the knickknacks behind, I wandered hesitantly out of the parlor. I tilted my head back to capture the entirety of the grand staircase leading upstairs, and had the peculiar feeling I was being watched. Thrusting my hands into my pockets, my eyes darted across the room, up the stairs that split the foyer in two, above to the curved ivory fang-like banisters lining the dim loft, somehow out of reach of the incandescent chandelier's rays. There it was again, a deep creaking wooden growl. It was strangely coming from both somewhere under my feet and high above my head, rumbling and cracking around me, as if the house were a great hungry beast whose belly I'd unwittingly ventured into. Perhaps I really wasn't cut out for reporting if I was this skittish. I could feel a cold sweat breaking out on the back of my neck. I wanted so badly to race back into the parlor, grab my pad, and bolt from this place. But I knew Marty would shake his head at me, like always, useless little thing on her last chance beat, begging for another shot at a page 10 blurb before the comics. I already hated this tardy Goldblatt, so if he wasn't coming out to speak with me in a timely manner, I was going to explore. I glanced up the staircase again, swallowed hard, and started my upward ascent. With every step, the foyer floor seemed to shrink away as if I'd never been standing down there at all. I hazily felt like Alice in Wonderland, getting smaller and smaller on a rapidly swelling staircase. After 23 awkward clomps, I cleared the last one and stood at the end of a narrow hallway. As if in a trance, I was beckoned forward by a brown door, slightly smaller than usual, where the hall ended. I stooped slightly, turned the tarnished brass knob, and entered. Blinking to adjust my eyes, I squinted across the silent room full of damp, heavy air. The ceiling gently sloped. The only source of light seemed to be emanating from a collection of six glass bell jars balanced on individual pedestal tables. 
My breath came in short bursts as I crept over for a closer look. Contained within each faintly glowing jar were tiny figures delicately spinning, dressed in Victorian regalia, hoop skirts, cinched waists, ostentatious hats, miniature doll-sized women. These must be more curious knickknacks, I thought. I bent down to examine them, then froze. My lips parted to scream, but the hush of this dark room also fell from my mouth. Each figure's shrunken face wore an expression of sheer horror, unparalleled shock, contorted, nauseating pain, eyes rolled backwards and tongues lolling. This wasn't another charming assortment of quaint mantle knickknacks. Elizabeth, Sadie, Augusta, Lucinda? Her petrified flesh glowed a sickly silver above a crudely etched nameplate. This couldn't be Cindy? Well, there you are. I swiveled my rigid body, fists clenched to face a towering, glowering gold blot. I felt his deep, slow words reverberating behind my eyes. Young miss, I'm terribly sorry to have kept you waiting. I gulped, and regaining my function of speech, spluttered, What is this place? What happened to- Mr. Goldblatt chuckled menacingly, flashed a nightmarish grin, and his thin mustache twitched. Yes, you see, I'm a bit of a collector. Runs in my family. My father, grandfather, my great lineage stretching back decades. We've been diligently putting women in their place. I glanced at what he held in his hands, a small sparkling glass jar. Sticking your noses where they don't belong, taking to writing about it. Reporting is a man's profession, we've tried to tell you. He gently separated the jar from the base. Mr. Berger and I have a little arrangement. I rid him of his problem, which, child, is presently you. And I have the distinct pleasure of adding to my collection. It was as if I'd been waiting for this moment for years. I barely processed his words. I was burning with rage. Lousy, incompetent, fragile, hysterical. Amid heart palpitations, the supernatural threat to my life I didn't entirely understand. Trembling knees and an inner voice howling run, my hand made its way steadily into my pocket. You'll learn your place at last, was the final echoing condemnation. Our eyes locked when the blade crookedly entered his side. I looked up at him in terror and anguish more absolute than that which palely washed his own face. No one heard the shattering of the glass jar as it slipped from his hand and hit the floor. Maybe it was hours, maybe it was minutes, but my knuckles were a sickly white when I finally released the hilt of the small gold sword and stumbled back to avoid being crushed by the last gold blot as he crumpled forward and collapsed with a hoarse wail. The floors reverberated with thundering growls. The walls screamed the agony of long-trapped souls. The very atmosphere quivered. An unnatural but unnoticed gravity toppled six bell jars unceremoniously from their tables, and a heavy haze wafted across the room, dissipating into the dark. <laughs>